Hello and welcome to Ship Talking Pod. I'm your host, Brandon, and this week, Alex rejoins the co-host seat for the episode. How are you, Alex? I'm pretty good. How are you, Brandon? I am doing well myself. Always look forward to joining you and the rest of the team on Sundays when we record. It's a really great escape, right? Using this pod and talking about Trek to kind of escape from real life and everything going on. Right. I totally feel that right now with so much going on with grad school. I I need this. (laughs) I know we're all keeping busy in different ways. But yeah, it's a lot of fun and we're really glad everyone who's tuning in and listening. Uh, Speaking of everyone who's been tuning in and listening, we really appreciate the feedback we get. And based on that, we actually have a couple announcements for this week before we jump into our main content. And one of those is a complete revamp of our Patreon page and the rewards we offer there. So for about the price of a coffee each month, uh, the $2 tier now unlocks all of our expanded content. Yeah, so if you love the show and want to support us, and you can kind of think of it as buying us a coffee each month, that $2 tier has the expanded chats. Now, we speak with all of our guests for about 45 to 60 minutes, but only 20 minutes or so make the episode. And think of the expanded chats as the director's cuts of sorts. They include, you know, additional topics, gags, goofs, and other details that didn't make it into the the actual episode. Yeah, so while our podcast is called Ship Talking Pod, we try to keep the podcast limited to just starships. But these expanded episodes contain even more juicy details, so if you're really in the mood for that, please consider checking out the Patreon. Yeah, they're really fun chats, and, you know, they're all usually around Star Trek, but like Alex said, since we are all about starships, we try and keep it specific to that. But it's a really great way to hear more from our guests and learn about their work, and of course, we really appreciate the support. We're also including a lot of brand new benefits starting from the very first tier, which is $1 per month or, you know, in your local currency, and this includes access to our Patreon Discord channel and early access to our Shuttle Scuttle podcast series, which launched this past Monday on Patreon, and it will go out on our pods feed on Monday. So those happen a week before for all of our patrons as a little benefit of sorts. Now for our Shuttle Scuttle, that's our weekly pod within a pod that gives us a space to experiment and have more track related fun in a more relaxed setting. So you all have an opportunity to get to know the ship talking team a little bit better. It's basically our personal shuttle that transports us between ship talking episodes those episodes are around 10 minutes each week and what's cool is it allows us to have guests on who maybe didn't work on ships specifically but the conversations all still surround ships and they're more like fireside chats or shall we say console side since we're in the trek world well i think that's all the important announcements that we had so let's get going into this week's episode jeremy randall will be joined with ship talking veteran thomas maroney to talk about their work on bridging star trek online with hero collectors magazines which are released with some of their ship models now i've been requested on an away mission so i won't be able to join you brandon but i'll meet up with you afterwards so we can share our all hands on deck drill yeah we're gonna definitely miss you for that chat but we will meet up after and the chat with them is gonna be really interesting because i think we're going to be talking about narrative and lore behind ships and how to write them in actual written form. And what's cool is their work extends beyond Star Trek Online, like you spoke about with Eagle Moss and Hero Collector and the models they put out. And there's actually some interesting stuff that goes into that in deciding actually what that backstory is for a ship. So it should be interesting, but we will get to that in just a bit. And in the meantime, Alex, let's head into this week's Community Q segment. For 
this week's Community Q, we asked you all to let us know which ship would be the most punishing ship assignment a captain could be given, as in, which would be the least desirable to be stuck on as a captain. So for this one, we actually had the number one response <laughs> as the Oberth, which is surprising because for those listeners out there that also play Star Trek Online, I think they all know that there's a big meme going around where everyone wants the tier six version of that ship. But that did come in as the number one response. <laughs> That doesn't surprise me. But now that we've mentioned it, it's at the bottom of the list again (laughs) of the developers' plans. Well, I guess that works out for those that don't want to be stuck on it, right? Maybe that's why they actually gave it. Um, The second most submitted was Deep Space Nine or being on a space station or Starbase 80. So if you you watch Lower Decks, yeah, if you watch Lower Decks, you know all about Starbase 80. I personally wouldn't mind being stuck on a space station, though, but I could see why, you know, those that want to be out there want to be on a ship doing exploration, which is why our third most submitted ship was the Defiant class, specifically because it didn't have many exploration missions. It was kind of sent on, you know, those tactical assignments. It was also very small, cramped, and needed a lot of maintenance, so kind of understandable. I can see that. I I don't think that I would want to be on, you know, a primarily warship anyway. I'm, I'm here for the exploration. <laughs> I know what you mean. So for the next community queue, we want to know which piece of ship technology do you think is the most fascinating? So really think about this one and think about all the classes out there, all the films, all the series we've seen. And what one piece of technology do you think is just the coolest or really most thought provoking? You know, it could be something from the future or something from the past. Maybe it's something we rarely got to see. But whatever it is, do let us know. And remember, you can send us your answers via email submission form on our website or via Twitter. All right, Alex. Well, I know you've got to head out on that away mission. I'm going to go meet Thomas and Jeremy, but I will see you on the flip side. All right. Have fun. I've mentioned a few times recently that I kind of feel like Star Trek Online is to some extent a fan fiction engine Mm. where players have the opportunity, if they want to use it for such, to write their own stories. Sure. Sometimes with the framework that we provide or the stories that we provide, but there's a lot of stuff that can happen off screen or how did I get this ship? You know, all that that kind of stuff. Like the individual players can still make those character decisions for themselves if they feel like it. Yeah. And and there's an interesting spread too with ships because you have some ships like the Prometheus that, I mean, technically it showed up. In two episodes but really it showed up in one episode uh, right. but it was featured and it had a because uh, it showed up in endgame in the end yeah yeah escorting it back to earth right 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 but um but the you know message in the bottle was mm-hmm. where the prometheus kind of debuted and it had a really amazing like the episode was about the ship and so it had like an awesome ability and you got to go around inside so you learned a lot about the prometheus in that episode incredible right? holographic doctor best ever. <laughs> <laughs> second um, best emh yeah uh, so so, the, so you have the Prometheus on one end of the spectrum, or I guess Prometheus might you might consider that the middle end, and let's say the Enterprise D is the far end, right? The Enterprise D, we know everything about the Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what it's good at, we know what its special ability is with Saucer Sep, and we've seen a lot of it, right? And then you have the Prometheus where where it had a kind of a guest starring role, right? Right. And then on the other end, like the Enterprise C, the Ambassador class, where it just sort of showed up for a bit, hung out, and then you know blew.
blew up off screen, mm-hmm. right? Well, I think there's even even further extreme of things like the uh, Hazari destroyers, or right, yeah, you know, these not even not even in villain of the week, but villain of the right. scene, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, 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 where you like see a, a two second shot of the ship flying by, and maybe it's firing a weapon, yeah. probably not because that cost effects time, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then we want to put it in our game. What do we do with that? <laughs> right, we have an interesting spectrum to work with um, because each um, point along that spectrum requires a different sort of level of elaboration and consideration. And like the Enterprise C is an interesting example because there's a lot of weight to that, right? It's still an enterprise. Yeah. So you still want to make sure that it feels like it li- it's living up to that heritage, but you don't really have much to work with. And I think it, it puts it in a different box than hmm. maybe like the Hazari Destroyer, where it's just like, well, we can sort of do whatever we want, right? But like, mm-hmm. if it's, you know, it, it's really interesting how the context for all these things colors what you have to come up with and what you have to, you know, create the art for. Mm-hmm. I love the the story of the Enterprise C that we were able to, that's one of the few ships in Star Trek Online where we actually took the time and were able to tell a full story uh, for the introduction of that yeah. ship. I do kind of wish so we get more opportunity to do some of that. Yeah. It can be really rewarding, especially when you, I, I totally agree. The Enterprise C has so much more weight than its screen time suggests. Yeah. And that brings up a good point. It's all about deciding which ships to include in a story or what ships can actually tell a great story, you know, and I, what I think and what I've seen is when you can fill in the blanks is probably where you can get most creative with it, right? There's not that backstory. So you get to step in and tell that story. But I, I, I'm not sure exactly how you decide what ships you'd actually include or what you'd look at. When you have the thing we have where we have hundreds of ships and then we have to keep adding more, sometimes you're faced with a challenge of what do we do this time? So with the recent legendary bundle that happened with the legendary ambassador and Excelsior, mm-hmm. you know, we already had all the canon variants that you saw, right? We already had the Yamaguchi Ambassador and we already had the NX version of the Excelsior and the Excelsior refit from Generations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can use the story as a way to get inspiration for the visuals. Okay. Uh, You know, if you're not sure what to do artistically, you can step back and say, well, okay, what is, you know, we've sort of been talking about with like, why does the ship look a certain way? And Mm -hmm. so uh, for the Repulse Legendary Excelsior variant that we came up with, um, the, the general direction we decided to go with was uh, Discovery Excelsior, mm-hmm. right? Because we thought, like, nobody's seen that. It's an interesting pastiche. Sure. So we had that idea in our head, but we didn't really get it until we started thinking of, in the context of the story, like, okay, well, why would there be a Discovery version of the Excelsior? And right. then, so we started to think about, well, the Excelsior has a transwarp drive, and so that mm-hmm. means it's an experimental ship. It's They've probably been working on this experimentation for decades, kind of like the early jet engine era of the 50s, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, uh, between World War II and the Vietnam more right there were literally hundreds of different like fighter plane iterations as they refined jet technology and so that that became a really cool inspiration the x-plane era became a really cool inspiration for the repulse design and the the sort of discovery excelsior pastiche and that all stemmed from the story that we realized like oh there's precedent for this mm-hmm. in history of just really a lot of iterations on a technology and and that fit really well with the story of the excelsior as we knew it right so we were able to sort of insert this new design nobody ever seen before and give it the discovery styling and still justify why it was there mm, right and you know we've had recently with all this explosion of new star trek we want to get those ships from the shows the new ships from the shows we want to get those in the game as soon sure. as possible because that's what everybody's excited about yeah. and so with discovery i i sort of pulled the whole thing out of out of my ass about why there were all these like long lost discovery era ships mm. in mothballs that we were mm. just 
just uncovering just now because i i wanted to reconcile the fact that you always saw hundreds of excelsiors and mirandas and stuff in (laughs) ds9 and tng yeah but you never saw i mean they they made you know 12 or 13 new federation designs for discovery right right yeah, yeah what happened to all those ships and I guess technically a lot of them were blown up, right, in the Klingon War. <laughs> yeah. But um, but still, like you would have expected ships of that era if they had survived all the way to the 24th century, that we would have seen more uh, Malakowskis or uh, Nimitzes or whatever, right? So I, I made up this whole story about like, well, there was a lot of Starfleet ships from that era in this repair yard, but then it, you know, the Star kind of had like a mini Nova and it got flooded with baryon radiation. Every had to leave, but these ships were just sort of sitting there. Mm. And then like in 2410, the radiation went away it's like oh we found all these old ships that we can fix up (laughs) and add back to the fleet and that's why suddenly all these 23rd century ships are showing up in star trek online again and so there's definitely a lot of like mental gymnastics sometimes to reintroduce these things and then um you know we just added the janeway class to sto i was gonna say there's the opposite side of the spectrum of that too right and that one i think i don't know if we've got a good excuse for that yet because it's i don't think we've decided to address it just yet (laughs) okay (laughs) Because they made time travel illegal, and that made life really hard for us. Right. So we're just sort of we're 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 I, I'm still noodling on it. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But um, but we're going to want to be doing more of those uh, 32nd century starships. Uh, yeah, imagine. You know, as as we can to to get them into our game, and we're I think we're going to have to tackle that eventually. <laughs> yeah. Figure out an excuse for it. Yeah, we had Al Rivera, your design director, on a mm-hmm. past episode, and we kind of touched on it. And he's like, you know what? Sometimes we we just don't explain it because. Because That's true is there well. maybe a need like you know the ship exists people want to fly the ship we're trying to get it in you know um crazy time stuff can happen um so uh, you know there's things from the future that have made their way back and if you know the databases showed that ship maybe you know starfleet's like oh, oh let's try that now let's put it out now now it's not going to be as powerful because obviously we don't have those weaponry and you know all mm-hmm. those advancements as we do at the moment but um yeah i i know that there is probably a lot of individuals out there is like this is this shouldn't be possible but you know what when it comes to sto specifically it's a game and everyone wants to have fun in a game right and you want to have different things to fly as i was saying earlier like uh, we also want to give you the opportunity to tell your own story absolutely you want to say that your captain is actually somehow from the 32nd century and that's why they have a janeway you go nuts we don't want to step on your creativity right right now i know that some of the writing work you both have done is extended beyond the game right thomas you've done work for eagle moss and jeremy you've got work from some of the blogs you've written have probably made its way to eagle moss as well and i imagine that's kind of a mode that you have to shift it's like okay we're not writing about ships in a game anymore we're actually writing about ships that are a model or you know some of the ships may be actually from the game themselves and they're making the model of that but it's got to be a bit different of a medium because you're working on technical specs that go into those magazines and and in addition to the lore it's also writing for a video game is uh, a constant challenge of brevity as well mm. like you don't want to fill uh, if i'm in charge of making a, a techno babble description of why this particular uh, ship ability works the way that it does i don't want to write a three thousand word novel to, right, yeah. to fill in that description you know nobody wants to read that in a video game i have to figure out how two sentences get the point across mm-hmm. and still give you a sense of the fiction that is true across the board like brevity is number one mm. <laughs> 
if you can't write briefly your description, start over. Maybe mm. that's not the right tech to use in the first place. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and what I do with uh, so uh, basically with Egomoss, um, I'm I'm writing all of the magazines that come with the STO collection. Cool. So for every every STO issue that that comes out, um, I've written, and I'm actually um, about to start issue number twenty here soon. Um, so it's yeah. and it's a uh, it's twenty pages each. Right. So there's a lot. It's a it's a lot of work to get those magazines done. Um, and and each issue is broken up into three sections. So there's the the first section is this is the in universe lore about the ship, mm-hmm. and that's written from like with a tone of like an encyclopedia entry or like a, a naval review kind of. Oh, right. You know, this is a contemporary person or maybe somebody in a little bit looking back a little bit at the ship and what it did well and what it was for. So that's the first article. And so the second article is writing about the process, the real world process of Cryptic's team, you know, designing the ship, building the ship. Mm-hmm. And then the third article is just a generic, this is about STO lore in general. So like the Vastum, for example, the third article was just about the Romulan Republic. Because oh, like, right, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I'm just writing for people who may maybe haven't played STO, so they don't mm-hmm. know about the Romulan Republic. And so even within that, that one issue, I have to tone shift three times, right? Mm-hmm. That is really cool. And I think another interesting challenge that you probably have is coming up with all those class names as well and the research that goes in behind that and deciding, you know, how a ship actually gets named. That's that's something in itself. And it can be a bit of a headache. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there are there's been a couple times in the recent history where the uh, class names that we usually try to go off of whatever resource or reference material we might have especially if there's something uh, suggested in the name if we mm-hmm. have a piece of concept art that calls it whatever uh, class or even the USS whatever mm-hmm. um, those will usually help inform some of our decisions in coming up with what it's called but uh, but sometimes they'll call something a class that already exists. Right, yeah. And due to the way that a video game tries to, you know, uh, tell people terminology and stuff, we can't have two different ships called the same exact thing. So we have to decide, like, yeah. <laughs> what do we do about this? Right, enter the Janeway class. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because that was the Intrepid. Right. Uh, in all of right. the uh, concept and reference that we had, it was still called an Intrepid. But we have the Intrepid and the Pathfinder and a few other variants that are all based on the Intrepid. The Janeway wasn't going to fit on the same skeleton, we call it. So its mm-hmm. parts aren't interchangeable art-wise sure, sure. in the game. So we didn't want to suggest that it should because that muddying the waters between the fictional elements and the mechanical elements is always dangerous mm-hmm. uh, when you're dealing with a with a video game space. We want to make sure that we're communicating as clearly as possible to players so that expectations can be set before they even play with any of it. And so, yeah, that was one of the main reasons that we decided that the future Intrepid needed a different class name. I was actually surprised um, to see that in Discovery Season 3 that they called it the Intrepid. I know it sounds like, you know, it was in the script and it probably was in the reference material you got, but I tried to remember other situations where a class name was the same. I know we've gotten multiple ship names and they were of different classes and they didn't follow, of course, the A, you know, or the the refits and, you know, sticking an initial on to the end of their register number, but I'm trying to remember where that came to be or maybe why that decision was made because I actually found that an interesting choice in the show itself. It's one of those things where, you know, maybe somebody Googled the original Voyager and yeah. saw that it was Intrepid class and just decided to keep that because this mm-hmm. is the new Voyager. So this is also an Intrepid class. I mean, right. w- one of the things that like we have to make sure that, like Jeremy said, we're we're doing stuff that works as a game. Like it has to work. You know, sure. it has to communicate, right? But in 
universe, like all a class name is, like when you think about like, like when the Navy sits down to design a new ship, mm-hmm. they don't say today is day one of working on this new destroyer. We're going to call it the um, Barack Obama class destroyer or something, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, that's not how it works. Um, basically, they're designing a ship. They work on one ship at a time, right? And then sure. and then they say, okay, this ship will be the USS Barack Obama or whatever. And then um, And then if they make a second one, then mm-hmm. suddenly the new one and that that new one is the same as the previous one then it's okay this is a barack obama class ship, right, right? Yeah, yeah but they're not necessarily i mean they, they might they might say that like you know when they're working on the first one they might say okay we're probably going to build 10 of these yeah they're not doing it like we do where it's like uh okay we have to pick out a class name before we make this new thing right like sure. it's, it's all based on whatever the first ship of that type is mm-hmm. so there could be two or three intrepid classes out there in the history of the federation right because that that really just means like the first vessel of this type was named the USS Intrepid. It's also kind of one of those things that Trek can get away with it, especially when doing uh, time travel mm-hmm. stuff. Cause like the season three takes place in the 32nd yeah. century. We haven't seen anything on screen in Star Trek since the 24th right. century, 25th century. So there's seven or 800 years during which like maybe an Intrepid didn't exist. And after seven or 800 years, they decided it's a retired class. We can make a new one and it's not a problem. You know, we weren't there for those 700 years. (laughs) (laughs) I have a quick question for Thomas. I don't know. I don't care if this makes it into the podcast or not, but sure. (laughs) So the McGee, the Shran, the nacelles go straight through the ship. Mm -hmm. Did you talk about like, uh, does it need extra shielding or anything? Or how do you get from one side of the cell to the other? Any (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we know that we know from TNG that nacelles are mostly hollow because mm-hmm. you actually go into the cell control room you can see straight down yeah. we also know that from discovery from a for a different reason yeah. maybe yeah. But weird scenes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so i didn't really touch on that i mean basically the what i said for the shran was just sort of like the larger your nacelle uh coils are the more efficient your warp bubble is essentially so you can operate mm-hmm. at higher speeds for longer um and so yeah. uh you know and draw less power when you're writing about ships it's good to remember that they're machines like they have safety tolerances and they have um, operational lifespans and they need maintenance every so often mm-hmm. and they have lots of moving parts that can all break yeah yeah yeah, yeah. when you see a brand new ship and it's a an eye-catching design that's not the same as anything else i think that the, one of the first things that goes through a lot of uh ship nerds brains is why is it like that like, why did they build it that way instead of the tried and true way why does it have four nacelles what what mm-hmm. makes it different or better mm-hmm. and being able to answer some of those questions is a uh can be a challenge but it's also kind mm-hmm. of a treat to uh to get to explore some of that yeah and especially in a game like star trek where we have hundreds of these ships and it's like well we got to make a new one so like we you know like <laughs> what are we gonna do um well we were talking earlier about uh, some of the challenges that we're going through right now with uh, getting more to the 32nd yeah. century discovery season three ships into sto one of the commonalities that all those ships have is they tend to have detached parts mm-hmm. the the janeway was one example of this it's nacelles yeah. and it's actually has no neck either it's a saucer and secondary hulls are not attached physically so we still talk about that internally we haven't made any documentation unless thomas has written something i don't know about uh, but we <laughs> haven't written anything yet uh, to kind of clarify why that's better or why it's different or or why yeah. the 32nd century federation and other um, organizations have chosen to use that technology on their star ships it's one thing i think that the show needs to kind of talk about in the third season because there is you know i know science consultants working on the show dr m mcdonald for example and mm-hmm. there are paying attention to why these technologies exist there is a reason for them probably has to do with the burn but we haven't actually heard specifically 
exactly why those you know are detached other than it's more efficient we heard that um we heard the admiral say i think there was also like a, a throwaway line of it being better for maneuverability or something right. like that but not why well, exactly. i'd love to hear some explanation of mm-hmm. what, what that does for your ship show yeah. us the science right <laughs> <laughs> Well, gents, before you get back to your ship work, I've got five rapid fire questions for each of you that I'd like to know the very first answer that comes to mind. Thomas is very well of this one, but Jeremy, since uh, it's your first go around, I'm going to ask you first. Okay. uh, What is your favorite ship? Oh, boy. Okay. So I have a few favorites for, I think, different reasons. Okay. Um, So obviously the Enterprise D has a place in my heart, but there was also a ship from TNG that the very first time I saw it on screen, I kind of fell in love with it. That's the Olympic. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, with mm-hmm, the big mm-hmm. spherical front. Okay. I have my own favorites of ships to fly in, in my game, yeah. but <laughs> for completely different reasons. <laughs> all right, all right. And what is your favorite series? It's got to be TNG. DS9 is probably a very close second for me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nostalgia to it, but it's also it's also a good show. <laughs> it is, it is. And who is your favorite captain? I feel like a broken record, but Picard, <laughs> it's got to be. Okay. And if you were headed into Starfleet Academy and had to pick one of the three career tracks, command science or engineering which would you go with science it's got to be i love the idea of exploring the unknown and uh, if you can't do it physically then do it mentally and lastly if you had to crenum timeline adjust the franchise and pick one series to erase from canon which would it be (laughs) oh wow uh well, I wouldn't want to do it to any, but if I was forced to, um, I think this is entirely for selfish reasons because I work in the IP. It'd have to be Picard, unfortunately, because it's taking place in this timeline that's actually causing us some writing problems <laughs> with our game. <laughs> that, that's a fair enough reason to pick it. That's that's all right. That's all right. We'll let you away with that one. And Thomas, I know you've answered these before in a previous chat, but just remind everyone quickly, your favorite ship. The original series Enterprise, no bloody A, B, C, D, E, or F. <laughs> <laughs> and your favorite series? Uh, TNG. Favorite captain? Uh, Janeway. Command science or engineering? Engineering. And which series would you give the Krenum treatment to? Oh, no. Uh, all right. I did not answer this one before. This mm. this is brutal. Um, <laughs> I don't want to pick on Enterprise, but it might be Enterprise. And nothing of value was lost. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think that. Enterprise is definitely a show that if they had done it now, I think it actually would have been really, really interesting. Mm. Some good plans of where that show was intended to go as well before it was canceled. So yeah. it could have been yeah. good stories to read. We had a nice, pretty new ship or at least an updated ship that would have been there. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, gents, thanks so much for joining this week. Lots of fun. While you head out, I am going to go meet Alex for this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's All Hands on Deck Drill, community members were asked to send in ships that they'd like to be placed in the proverbial space dock, and they could be given any ship from any era that belongs to any species. We're now going to draw two at random and have them go head to head. All right, I've got all of your responses from the last few days put into this website, and I'm going to click the button and get the first one. It's the Odyssey class. Ooh, cool. Oh, nice. All right, we haven't had that one yet. And um, all right, one more. The Sovereign class. Oh, two Fed ships versus each other. We haven't had that before. That's a really good lineup. Yeah, okay. Also 
really difficult. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's see. Odyssey class obviously came out much later than the Sovereign class, you know, so it had technological advancements. But, you know, before the Odyssey class, the Sovereign was obviously the Enterprise E, one of the most powerful ships out there. Lots of phaser banks, lots of torpedo yeah. capabilities. Speaking of torpedoes, I think it could fire like, what was it? Dozens of torpedoes at the same time. I forget the exact number, but an insane amount. Yeah, I actually kind of remember that. I, I feel like the Odyssey logically would be able to do the same thing or similar, mm-hmm. given that it's slightly newer and it has similar armaments. Um, from what I understand, it has four torpedo launchers. And does the Sovereign have, uh, oh, it has three forward and six aft. So maybe never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do think the Odyssey class has that is an advantage over the Sovereign is it's got a lot more, you know, unique abilities or kind of ship gimmicks. It's got that Aquarius escort that it can, you know, put out from its aft. It's also got Chevron separation, although the Sovereign class also did Chevron separation. Like they never called it Chevron, but, you know, it's got that same kind of saucer look that's less saucer like and more, you know, like the Odyssey class in a sorts. But I know they could both separate. But, you know, the Odyssey class being that slightly new ship over the Sovereign, although the Sovereign having a little bit more tactical prowess. It's an interesting one. It's a toss-up. But uh, what do you think, Alex? What what should we call this as? Who would become the victor if they were both put head-to-head? Maybe this is my bias speaking, but I want to say the Odyssey. <laughs> I also am going to agree with you there, the Odyssey. I mean, it's just, it's a bit newer. Mm-hmm. I guess also it'd come down to who was in command, right? Who was actually in the captain's chair? A ship is more than just its equipment. It's absolutely its captain and crew. So... Um, you know, different command styles could lend to different tactical capabilities. Absolutely. And of course, you know, if we had Picard and Riker and the team on the Sovereign, we've got both the Picard maneuver, we've got the Riker maneuver, you know, so eh, it's it's interesting. But, you know, we're I think we're both going with Odyssey. For those out in the community, send us a tweet or send us an email and let us know who do you think would have come out the victor. And of course, if you want to participate in the weekly drills, they get posted on Twitter. So do keep an eye out and we'd love to see more participants. All right. Well, it looks like we're heading towards the end of this episode. But before we go, I want to announce next week's guest. We will be joined by a digital modeler of Canon Star Trek ships, the incredibly talented Mark Bell. Mark Bell's work is known far and wide. If you've seen artists out there who've been taking model ships and placing them in their own environments and doing art with them that are outside of a video game, it's probably Mark's recent models. Um, There's a couple other big known modelers out there, but Mark Bell really does absolutely incredible work. So I'm really excited to have him on. You know, we've talked to physical ship modelers. We've had a couple digital modelers, a lot of them who have done their own types of ships, but Mark Mark really does a lot of research and spends time getting to know the models and recreating them with the most incredible detailed accuracy you can see. And you know what? He actually puts these out to the community so you can actually import the models and play around with them yourselves and make your own art. So should be a very interesting chat. Sounds like it. Well, don't forget our hailing frequencies are always open. Head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message via the submission form. And while you're there, check out our merch. If we can put our logo on it, it's probably in our store. Your support helps to keep us bringing you fresh weekly content by going straight to the pod's weekly production costs. That it does. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, our Patreon is there and benefits. So not only can you support us and get awesome rewards, but it allows us to create new content as well. And your support really means a lot to us. 
You can also send us emails via hello at shiptalkingpod.com. This is a great way for you to share feedback and your answers to our community cues. We reply to every email that we get. We also reply to all the tweets that we get, so do send us a tweet to shiptalkingpod. You can also get daily ship facts, engage with other fans, and just have fun with the community. And the best way to support us is to tell your ship enthusiast friends about the show. They can find us by searching Ship Talking Pod wherever they get their podcasts, or just send them to our website for a direct link. Of course, we can't end the show without thanking James and George. James is our community manager and manages our Twitter and much more and does a great job. And of course, George, who does all the behind the scenes magic on our audio to make Alex and I sound good. And we really (laughs) appreciate both the work you do. And it is so fun working alongside you to put this out each week. And thank you to our listeners, our community, and all our wonderful supporters on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. That's absolutely true. It is a fun community effort, and we're glad you're here for the journey. Lots of fun ahead this year for Ship Talking Pod, and we're glad you're a part of it. So we'll see you for the next episode. And in the meantime, cheers. Jolene True. So during wartime, Starfleet has been known to ration its food out. Uh, That seems crazy, I know, but I suppose us humans are versatile creatures. Uh, The Klingon Empire, when it's at war, will feed their warriors a huge meal each evening to keep up their strength. But Starfleet, their officers are only fed a ration. Do you get it? Like federational, like a ration of food. I I I worked on that joke for three weeks.